the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Assurance. When you die, do you have assurance that heaven will be your home? Welcome to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick, a ministry of Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego. You'll hear verse-by-verse preaching that will help you know and love Jesus in a personal and practical way. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8 and listen in as we learn from the Bible how to have assurance. Would you take your Bibles as you're seated, turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8, the book of Romans, chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 in your Bible, I'm glad to see all of you here, this beautiful, gray, San Diego day, I feel like we've had about 65 of those in a row, so glad to have all of you here, how many excited for the sun to shine? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah? How many are just like, I'm going to take the gray as long as I can? Anybody? We'll pray for you in your depressed state. All right, good. Now I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I hear it's supposed to be sunny on Saturday for the youth car wash. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Regardless, let's get $15,000 in. I don't care if Zane shaves his beard. It's like it's not there anyway. It looks kind of like a hairless cat. He's got three hairs coming out. But I want to see John grow a beard. I just want to see that happen. That might not happen. might not happen. But he's going to give it the old college try. So uh, Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles this morning. Romans chapter 8 in your Bibles today. When uh, Debbie and I first moved to Canyon Ridge, uh, not moved to Canyon Ridge, we moved to San Diego to start Canyon Ridge. Uh, by the way, if you notice the ink on my finger, uh, if you're a fountain pen guy, you get it. You just have that happen. And uh, John gave me a fountain pen this morning and I got ink on my finger. So I'm not sick and I don't bleed blue. So, um, but when Debbie and I first moved to, to San Diego to start Canyon Ridge, um, I would hear regularly from people, uh, pastors, people across the country we'd get that was back in the day kind of email was still a thing but not as much so we'd get a lot of handwritten notes and and uh, emails that that just from folks just being an encouragement and they would say something like this I'm praying for you just want you to know that we're praying for you by the way if you're praying for somebody you should tell them it's a huge encouragement to them let them know I, I sent a text to our dear friends and missionaries this morning I'm praying for you Dave and Debbie Board I, I was talking to Sarah Vong this week let them know hey I'm praying for you uh, you, you ought to let people know that you're praying for them so uh, we would get these notes and and they were always an encouragement I I uh, sent a, a note a text to a bunch of pastors this morning and had received a bunch of uh, texts that said, hey, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you and uh, lifting, lifting you up before the Lord today. And, and uh, I would always get those. I, w- I would regularly get those and still do to the glory of God. Well, nobody prays for me more than my parents. Uh, my parents are what 
Now, I know not everybody has this privilege, but my parents are what old preachers would call prayer warriors, where my dad will literally, uh, now this is before he was retired, he might just sleep now, I don't know, but I doubt it. But back in the day, my dad would pray for about three to four hours a day. And uh, that was just his, his heart's desire, is to pray. He would say things like, I can't be the best preacher in the world, I might not be great at this, and I might not be great at that, but I can pray. And he would pray for me, my sister, my brother. He prayed for me a lot because I have to deal with my sister and brother and I have to minister to them and try to help them. Uh, but he, he prays for me. My mom prays for me. And it's just awesome. I'm telling you parents right now, uh, there's few things in the world, if anything, that's as important to me as knowing that my parents pray for me. I'm just letting you think about that. It's more important than your kid being a good athlete. Parents, <laughs> this is so funny. Parents will take an unathletic kid and they'll spend all kinds of money sending that kid to camps and everything else going, man, I hope he can make the big leagues. And the biggest league that kid's ever going to make is big league chew. I mean, just not gifted that way. It's not bad. I mean, enjoy the sport and everything. But parents give all of their life and energy for that. Man, I'm thankful that I had parents who would pray for me and lift me up before the Lord. Well, a couple of years ago, I got to thinking, what happens when my parents die? Now, isn't that a morbid thought? I I mean, maybe you've ever thought, maybe you've thought that. But I started thinking, like, what happens to me when mom and dad aren't here to pray for me anymore? And and what's that going to be like? Because I understand this, and I think you probably do too. The Bible says in Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me, and I'll answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I understand emphatically. Emphatically, the absolute importance, necessity, and power of prayer. And I really didn't want to lose mom and dad's prayer. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6, be careful for nothing. That just simply means don't worry about anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So I understand there is a massive importance about or with prayer. So I began to struggle some with the reality that I didn't want to lose my parents praying for me. Well, you might be like me. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home and your parents are praying for you and you're like, dude, I just don't want mom and dad to stop praying for me. Lord, you got to keep them around so that they'll pray for me. Or you could be maybe like some others who are like, my family's not a Christ, not Christians. I grew up in a home of non-believers and I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ at some point in my life and my parents aren't praying for me and I wish some more people would be praying for me. How many of you have parents like me that are praying for you and you know it, they prayed for you today? I say, raise your hands and be proud about it, man. My parents are praying for me. God bless you. All right. Now, whoa, whoa, leave your hands up. Now look around. Look around at the people who that don't have that privilege. If you don't have your hand up, chances are you wish you did, don't you? You're like, man, I wish my parents were praying for me. I wish my parents were saved. I, 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 I get that. Well, I want to share with you a truth this morning out of Romans chapter 8. We've been in a study of Romans chapter 8 for quite some time. I believe with all of my heart that the the most important book of the Bible, this is subjective, my opinion, that the most important book of the Bible is the book of Romans. Now, I'm going to tell you that when I preached through the book of Matthew, I said the exact same thing. And through 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, I said the exact same thing. When I preached through 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, I said the same thing. So there is a pattern here in Chris Chadwick's mind that whatever book I'm preaching through is the most important book in the Bible. 
All right, but I really do believe that about Romans, but I said that back then too. I really do believe that about Romans, and I believe this, that the most important chapter in the book of Romans is chapter 8. And chapter 8 is dealing with what we call assurance or assurance of salvation. So we've been in a little mini-series in the book of Romans, chapter 8, about the assurance of salvation, how believers know that they are saved. And it's not a quick kind of like, let me give you four points how you know you're saved. It's across the board how that we understand, based on the word of God, that we are saved and the benefits that come from our salvation. Well, we looked last week at chapters 8 verses 18 to 25, and where it talked about heaven. We sang about heaven this morning, where we talked about heaven and, and how the believer looks forward to heaven and, and how the believer will enjoy heaven and how the, how the be- believer... Uh, how creation is looking forward to heaven and being freed from the curse of sin in this world. Well, Paul then moves, and really it's the same paragraph, but it, there's some connective tissue here in verse number 26 in the language or in the Greek, uh, where Paul moves from the concept of heaven to the benefit of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I want you to notice verse number 26, where we see the Spirit of God is praying for you. Let me say this again. Listen to me clearly. Be a note taker, take notes. The Spirit of God is praying for you. Verse number 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He starts this verse off with a linking word here, likewise, or in the same way. And he's referring back to verses 23 through 25, where the Bible talks about the Spirit gives us hope or gives the believer hope and an expectation of heaven. And so he says, likewise, or in the same way, now continue looking at the verse, the Spirit also, or in addition to hope, the Spirit helps. The Spirit helpeth our infirmities. Now, the word help is an important word, so we'll do a little bit of work in it because I want you to understand what the Bible means when it says what it says. The word help means to aid or to assist. This is an interesting word. It's used in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. And we learn a little bit of insight about the word's usage. And the word is used in the Septuagint to describe how that there were 70 elders in Israel that we could read about in Exodus 18, 22 and Numbers chapter 11, verse 17. Uh, 70 elders in Israel who helped Moses bear the burden of the nation of Israel as judges. They helped him bear the burden. This word help is only used one other time in the Greek in the New Testament in Luke chapter 11, or Luke chapter 10, sorry, verse number 40. And it's the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus goes to the house of these two ladies and their brother Lazarus, and he is ministering there and he's teaching there and he's helping them uh, to understand the things of God and the principles of God's word. Mary and Martha are there, and Mary, one of the sisters, is seated at the feet of Jesus, listening and learning from Christ, and the other sister there is serving Jesus while he ministers. By the way, both are necessary. We need to sit and learn, and we need to serve. We see both aspects of the Christian life. If all you are is a sitter, there's a problem. If all you are is a servant, then you're not a worshiper, and there's a problem. So we see two aspects that were both a little bit out of bounds. And so Martha is serving. 
serving. She's washing pots, cooking meals, bringing pita, I don't know, serving tea or whatever it is that she's doing. And, and she's being a blessing and a help to the people that are there. But she gets exacerbated and overwhelmed with her service. And she says in Luke chapter 10, verse number 40, and she complains to the Lord, Lord, dost not thou care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid therefore that she help me. Now the word help here means Martha wanted someone to labor beside her to relieve her stress and to lighten her load. So in other words, we could say this, the spirit in this text, the spirit helping our infirmities means this, the spirit shoulders our burden. Let me say that again. The spirit shoulders our burden. How many of you know what a burden is? It's like a weight, like something difficult, a challenge, a struggle. And the Bible says very clearly, likewise also, just as the spirit gave hope, now the spirit gives help and the spirit helpeth our infirmities or shoulders our burden. If you like what you've heard so far, check out CanyonRidgeRadio.com. You can see videos and listen to hundreds of Bible messages that will help you in your walk with the Lord. You can also send a message to me and Pastor Chadwick. Check us out at CanyonRidgeRadio.com. Now, back to the message in progress. It carries the weight. When I was a little kid, my dad was pastoring a church in Washington State and uh, Bethel Baptist Church in, in Spanaway, Washington. And we were building a building and um, we were doing work and like at church, child labor is totally fine. It is not a problem. And especially back then, like there was no such thing as OSHA. Times were good, all right? Times were good. How many of you remember, if you're old enough, making bike ramps and jumping them out of wood that you found? You didn't like go to Walmart and buy some stupid plastic professional done thing. You literally, I mean, you'd rip the siding off somebody's house if you could make a jump out of it. How many remember those days? Any of you brave enough to have the, the board lay on you and people would jump off your body? How many ever did that? You bunch of sissies and like three cars. All the young people are like, you can live past that? Oh yeah, I remember one time, I remember one time, if you remember, there was a Huffy bike. Huffy, what a brand. Huffy, oh my soul. I remember I had a Huffy bike. It was, it was in the shape of a motorcycle. It looked like a motorcycle. It had a plastic gas tank on it. It was black and yellow. And um, we we made a jump to go over refrigerator boxes, like standing up. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Because that's what men do, even at nine years old. And so we made a jump to go over refrigerator boxes. And uh, so we did that for a while. And then we added another box. And then we added another box. And by the way, we didn't have helmets because we let Jesus take the wheel. So... We had another box and another box and, and we had four boxes. We, we ended up with four refrigerator boxes standing straight up that we had to fly over. And so we, we started making it. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, the jump was crazy. My parents were nowhere to be found. They left my sister in charge. I didn't know what she was talking to Charlie. I don't know what she's doing. I she's nowhere to be found. And so me and my friends were flying over these things. And then we came up with the idea. This would be really fun if we got in the boxes and watched people jump over us. 
So kids today are like, oh, people on YouTube do crazy stuff to be noticed. We just did it for the thrill. We didn't need a follower. We just thought it was fun. You say, well, what if somebody crashed into you? That was the thrill. And so nobody wanted to do it. And because I was the youngest, I got selected to be in the last refrigerator box. Like the older kids were in the first ones. Like the bigger kids, they were like, oh, we'll be here, here, here. And I remember asking the question, well, why do I get stuck in the last one? They said, oh, Chris, because you're shorter. And if it hits the top of the box, it won't hit you. It'll hit us. And to my nine-year-old brain, that made sense. And if a, if a senior hire or a, a high schooler complimented you, you're like, you're willing, I was willing to do anything. So we got in that, a guy goes flying over me and he lands on my box. Those were the good old days. Can I get an amen in the crowd? We need some more of that nonsense in America today, right now. And problem with America today is we don't have huffy bikes. Every kid's got a, got a helmet on and a mountain bike. Ugh. How many of you ever had a bike and the, the brakes went out and you're going downhill and all you can think to do is lay that puppy down on the side? That's right, yes. We didn't have hand brakes. You just slam that thing, a car hits you, you know, and, and the population drops by one. So, um, well, we were working at, a, at the church, back to the original illustration before I started thinking about my childhood, and uh, we were working and serving at the church, and we were taking uh, four by eight sheets of plywood, half inch, and we're taking them up a ladder uh, to the roof to put on the roof. And so I got over to help, and they gave me a sheet of plywood, and I was pumped for the sheet of plywood. But I couldn't carry the sheet of the plywood by myself. I was a big kid, but I wasn't big enough to wrap my arms around it. So I carried one end, and a really strong man carried the other end. I carried part of the burden, but he helped me. Meaning, he bore the burden. Or he, as the definition is, shouldered the burden. I was there, but he could have carried that without me at all. I thought I was carrying it all by myself, but he was probably carrying 95% of the load and I had 5%, if even that. He shouldered the burden. And that's what this word means. The spirit helpeth our infirmities. Well, what is infirmities? It's a weakness. It's an inherent weakness because of sin, living in a sin-cursed world. It can mean a spiritual weakness. It can mean a physical weakness. It can mean an emotional weakness. It's just something that we're weak at. Let me be candid with you. You're weak. There's things that you and I are weak at. We are inherently weak at it. That's why the word is very specifically referred to as our infirmities. It is not a sickness. It is a weakness because of the sin-cursed culture that we live in. I don't know if you've been to a high school or college or junior high or elementary school or kindergarten or daycare graduation lately. Got them for everything. Everybody graduates from everything. Oh, my word. It's all because of Hallmark. But if you go to the average graduation today, you're going to hear something like this that I've heard that you've heard. You're amazing. You're the greatest that's ever lived. 
You're special. No one is as special as you. You're strong. You're brave. You're courageous. Now go change the world. You can do anything that you want to do. That's not true. That's really not. You can't do anything you want to do. You can't. I want to live in a high rise in downtown with a helicopter. I can't do that. So if you had enough money, I can't make that much money. Why? I'm a pastor. The Bible says silver and gold have I none. There's things you can't do. We want to make it sound in America today and in the Western world today like we're amazing. There's, there's stuff you can't do. There's no one in this auditorium that could. I doubt, let me say I doubt it. I'd have to see it. I wouldn't believe it until I saw it, and then I still probably wouldn't believe it. That, that could take a basketball, take two steps, and dunk from the free throw line. Just nobody in here that could do that. You could want to all day long. You could want to till you lose sleep about it. You just can't. There's some things you cannot do. There are things you are incapable of doing. I, I would like to sing opera. Not because I like opera. It's horrid. I would just like Debbie to hear me sing without complaining one time. She doesn't normally complain with her words, but her eyes tell the story. How many men know what I'm talking about? She's like, you trying to sing that? I'm like, I'm singing to Jesus. She's like, well, you need prayer. There are some things I just can't do. There are some limitations that we have. And we have some physical limitations, but we also have some emotional limitations. And we have some spiritual limitations. And the Bible is saying that the Spirit helps our infirmities. Well, well, what's one of our limitations then, Chris? Well, notice what he says. Verse 26. For we... Now, we is an important word that we should describe... He's talking to believers at Rome and all believers everywhere, specifically to Rome, but through the inspiration of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. He's talking to all of us at all time, uh, for all time, that know Jesus. For we, the collective we, this is, this is the, one of the greatest Christians to ever live, wrote 14 books, 13 books if you don't count Hebrews, 14 if you count Hebrews, uh, books of the Bible. He was... He was rejected by his family for accepting Christ. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned and, and left for dead. They thought he was dead. He was beat with the cat of nine tails three times. He was lost in his shipwreck. He, he, he was in perils of robbers, the Bible said. I mean, he was constantly under attack. He was constantly uh, under threat. He, he went through, this is Paul, and he says, for we, he's including himself in this. No one, no one is free from this category. What's our infirmities? We're all in the same boat. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. In other words, he says this. Before you get high and mighty and think you got it all together, bro, you don't even know how to pray right. And he says, and neither do I. He's not being critical of us. He's grouping us all together in the description of our infirmities that we don't even know how to correctly pray. For we don't even know how we should pray. We don't know how we should or as we should, verse 26, denotes the idea of praying according to the divine necessity or praying according to the will of God. We don't know what to ask for in accordance with the will of God. 
And even when we know what we want, we cannot know whether it's in line with the process. One commentator said this, when I pray for healing, financial aid, social relationships, and so on, I don't know what the actual will of the Lord is in this circumstance. This is a very important qualification, especially for those who think that faith always gets its request from God. God is clearly sovereign over all our prayers and knows when to say no to them. In fact, the perspective of true faith, God saying no is actually yes. For it's an affirmation of his love in giving us what we need rather than what we want. God, please give me this house. No. That might be within the will of God. That is within the will of God. We, we, we struggle at times to even know how to pray. Well, my mother-in-law, those of you that are guests here, my mother-in-law 15 years ago got cancer. And then it went into remission and she was clear of cancer. But the doctors told us then, it's not, her name is Judy. Judy, it's not if you die of cancer, it's when you die of cancer. A little over a year ago, the cancer came back and it's quite aggressive. And, and we truly believe, we don't know this for sure, but it seems as though she has just a few months left on this earth and then she'll be in heaven with the Lord. And I've had people say, Pastor, are you praying for healing? I, no, I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. But Debbie and I have discussed it a lot. Our family's discussed it a lot. We understand that miracles are the exception and we don't feel like that's at all what the Lord would have. But if he wants it, we're submitted to it, but <laughs> joyfully submitted to it. But we don't feel that's what it is. What, what are we praying? We're praying for the will of the Lord to be done in a very, very timely and quick manner so she doesn't have to suffer. Very timely and quick manner so she doesn't have to suffer. You say, do you think that's the will of God? I, I think it is, but I might not know. That's why we often say at the end, Lord, we're just submitted to your will, whatever your will is. You've been listening to Canyon Ridge Radio with Pastor Chris Chadwick. Before we go, if you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian and how to go to heaven after you die, we invite you to visit our website, canyonridgeradio.com, for more information. We hope this episode of Canyon Ridge Radio has been an encouragement to you. Canyon Ridge Baptist Church is a growing church located in beautiful San Diego, California. If you're in the San Diego area, make plans to visit us this Sunday at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 5 o'clock p.m. at 6866 Linda Vista Road. For more information about our church, our pastor, or how to know Jesus as your Savior, visit our website at CanyonRidgeRadio.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.